We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app one thing's certain the 2021 spring session of the illinois general assembly looked a lot more like 2018 than it did 2020 actual hearings and hearing rooms the house and senate chambers populated And while thoughts of the coronavirus pandemic hovered over everything, COVID-19 was not topic A. Finally, State Senate President Don Harmon got to feel what it's really like to lead the upper chamber. This weekend, he joins us to look back and look forward. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Don Harmon assumed the post of Illinois Senate president in January of 2020, which is a little like being given the wheel of the Titanic just before it hits the iceberg. Uh, He succeeded John Cullerton in the job. But the Oak Park Democrats, a seasoned veteran lawmaker, and he was first elected to the Senate in 2002, taking the place of Dan Cronin, who was redistricted. Uh, He served alongside a young senator named Barack Obama at the time. Don Harmon was president pro tem of the Senate from 2011 to 2019. This session of the legislature is the first nearly normal one he's had to preside over. So, uh, Senate President Don Harmon, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's good to be with you. It's good to have you. And are you having fun yet? (laughs) It is a wonderful job, no matter the challenges. Uh, I am uh, privileged to lead a, a caucus in a chamber that did an awful lot of good work this year. Um, and uh, yes, a little bit more like normal. Yeah. Now, there is no playbook for legislating through a pandemic or frankly, for even recovering from one. So I suspect there were a lot of hard lessons learned uh, during 2020. Am I right? There were. Uh, you know, it was two days after I was sworn in as Senate president that we had our first confirmed case. Uh, in the in the United States, and within a, a month and a half, we were canceling most of the rest of session and figuring out how to work Zoom, something none of us had ever done before. But we managed to persevere uh, using um, alternative platforms to keep our caucus informed and prepare for a brief return to Springfield in uh, in May of 2020. And we got all of our work done in three and a half days. Uh, so. Yes, a very different session than anyone expected and different than this year's session, certainly. Uh, There were a lot of complaints that lawmakers were bypassed for much of this. Uh, I mean, it's not unusual or unheard of that a governor would have emergency powers during a crisis like this. But uh, um, what should people think about how things were handled, especially at the beginning? 
it was certainly unprecedented, uh, but it was a situation that called for executive action. Uh, we weren't going to be able to pass a bill to eliminate COVID. So uh, we stayed in very regular communication with the governor and, and the governor's office. Um, we were prepared to do legislatively what we might need to do. And we were able to do that in those few days we came back in May. But uh, marshalling the resources, putting together a plan, uh, using the science and the public health experts to uh, inform decision making, that all happened at the executive level as it should have with advice uh, from the legislative branch. Was it from the branch itself or really just the leaders? And frankly, at the time, we were, we were having two new leaders out of the four. Uh, it, it was with, as the legislative process works, I, I may be asked to be the, the spokesperson for our caucus or for our chamber, but all of the advice that I shared with the governor benefited from the advice I got from members of the caucus and members of the Senate. Uh, so it, it, it's a little less formal than you might imagine, but the process did seem to work. I, I would ask about the, the decision and then, frankly, the rules that do not allow for uh, remote voting, really even a remote session. Um, is that something that in the future you'd like to see addressed and or changed? That was an interesting uh, debate. And, and uh, a year ago in the spring, as we put together our agenda, I worked with then Speaker Madigan on a proposal to by law allow for remote uh, session. Um, there, we found arcane provisions of uh, existing law allowing the governor to call us into session somewhere other than the Capitol or other than Springfield in times of pestilence, um, drafted for some purpose, not necessarily for a pandemic. Um, but that bill ended up failing in the House. So um, we in the Senate used our internal rulemaking authority to create a a, a, a channel for members to participate remotely, although a quorum of the body had to be present in the Capitol. And we used that to great effect. We also allowed our committees to meet virtually without a physical quorum anywhere. And, and that was critical in the aftermath of the George Floyd murder when um, we took up a, the beginning of what ended up being the four pillars of the Legislative Black Caucus. Um, and frankly, we had a lot of House members piggybacking onto our Senate committee hearings because we had those tools and that authority. So I'm very proud of that, uh, the work we did to, to make sure that uh, members could participate safely from where they were. I would also say it was probably the largest single expansion of uh, transparency and participation in our democracy in generations. Someone in Rockford could participate in a hearing in, in Springfield with the click of a mouse rather than driving several hours south to sit in the committee room. Uh, I, I hope that in the end, this is viewed as a, a, an unveiling of the, the democratic process. And should it stay unveiled? In other words, I mean, going forward, would you like to see more of that happen? Um, because it did work fairly well. I mean, those of us who might not have been, who weren't able to make those hearings did see more of them and, and, and a lot more governing than we had seen previously. I, I think the public facing part of it should absolutely stay. We should do a better job of 
broadcasting and promoting government proceedings so that people can watch from their kitchen table and uh, appreciate what we're doing and what it means to them. I think we found that there are clear advantages of having legislators in person together. Um, and, uh, and I think there may have been some folks who stretched the definition of uh, a time of uh, petulance, uh, pestilence. Uh, uh, maybe that was a Freudian slip. Uh, <laughs> but uh, at the same time, we had a member of our caucus who uh, was diagnosed with, uh, with cancer and is, is undergoing treatment. Um, to have to make that choice between participating and representing your constituents uh, versus jeopardizing your health because of the added risk that a cancer diagnosis and treatment has to uh, exposing yourself to COVID. Um, we should make sure that those avenues exist. I, I don't think it will be the norm. I don't think it will ever replace in-person legislating. Um, but I certainly hope that we continue to broadcast into uh, your uh, radio station and everyone's uh, everyone's kitchen if they want to follow what we're doing in Springfield. And uh, you mentioned petulance. I may I want to follow up on that a little bit because COVID also presented itself in some ways as a political issue as well as a health one. Um, I know it probably got a little bit more intense over in the House where you had at least one member, if not more, refusing to wear a mask and, and one of them being uh, sent out of the chamber, at least temporarily. Uh, how much of this became of a political flashpoint in the Senate chamber? Uh, not nearly as much as in the House, although I would note that the, that member of the House uh, got himself elected to the Senate in November and is now uh, with us. But our, our colleagues, Democrats and Republicans, uh, were really quite mindful. Um, people wore their masks, most of the time covering their noses and their mouths, uh, but not always. Uh, people maintained their, their, their distance when they could, and uh, we adapted to the new reality. Now, it wasn't perfect, but I'm very gratified that in this spring session, when most of us were in the building most of the time, we were able to avoid any real dramatic outcome. We partnered with the University of Illinois and used their shield saliva test on a regular basis so that we were testing uh, two and three days a week, depending on our schedule. Uh, and there were no significant outbreaks. The, the few positive cases that uh, were found were found before people entered the Capitol complex. Uh, they were able to go home and take care of themselves, protect themselves and their families, um, and come back to work when they were clear of quarantine. So it really worked well, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm proud of the work that our team did. Our staff did an extraordinary job of uh, inventing the wheel uh, in a world where none of us had any experience, uh, and it really did work well. Well, and I, I should acknowledge that as somebody who uh, covered the legislature for uh, a number of years, uh, the upper chamber has always been a considerably more collegiate than, than, the, uh, than the House. but we're talking about right now the physical part, the, 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 the illness part, but there were policy uh, conflicts as well. And how much did politics uh, invade the, the legislative work? Uh, from time to time. Um, but I think that... Uh, the Democratic caucus I serve and uh, the governor's office uh, 
both fairly reflexively defaulted to science and uh, public health experts. And, and there was great comfort, I think, in doing that. Uh, when we didn't know what else to do, uh, we looked to the science, we looked to the medical experts, and we followed their recommendations. Uh, that clearly posed some conflict with legislators, but I think more of that conflict happened outside of the building. When members were back in the districts they represent, talking to their constituents. And it was unfortunate. Uh, we still see a real uh, disparity in vaccine rates across the state uh, geographically. And I think that that is fed by the, the politics of COVID-19 rather than the science of it. Um, and I hope we can overcome that. We're, uh, when I last checked, we're on the cusp of hitting that 70% uh, first vaccinated uh, rate in Illinois. So I'm hoping we continue on that trajectory. I just wish it were a bit more balanced. Mm. I want to uh, start turning to some of the issues that you uh, dealt with that were not necessarily about COVID. Uh, and in some ways, just because of the way it works out, I'm going to be working backwards from what's just happened to things that happened a little bit earlier. But uh, we, you and I are speaking uh, right after the House, uh, or at least uh, the day after the House passed the elected school board bill which you were <laughs> involved with uh, in the Senate. Um, it seems that Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, had very little effect on the way things proceeded, which would probably seem to a lot of people to be unusual for a Chicago mayor dealing with a Chicago issue. Um, what happened? I believe there is broad support uh, within the city of Chicago and frankly across the state for an elected Chicago school board. The Chicago public schools are the only schools in the state not governed by an elected school board. Every other suburban and downstate school district has an elected school board. Uh, politically, it has been proved at a referendum in the city. Um, and frankly, by just about every politician campaigning for election in the last several years, I know I campaigned in favor of an elected school board. I believe the Speaker of the House did. I know that the governor did, and frankly, I know that the mayor did. So it's hard to uh, derail an issue that everybody has already come out in support of publicly, um, nor do I think there was any appetite to do that. The time had come. Um, in the Senate, uh, the House had passed a version of this bill several times before, including earlier this year. Uh, in the Senate, we sat down and tried in good faith to uh, negotiate a compromise. And so Senator Rob Martwick from the Northwest side um, was the lead sponsor of, of the original bill. Uh, uh, Majority Leader Kimberly Lightford, who represents uh, part of the west side of the city, as do I, uh, was uh, a sponsor of the mayor's counterproposal. And we tried to negotiate a bill that provided for a measured and uh, reasoned transition from the fully appointed school board we have today to a fully elected school board. So in the end, it won't go into effect in the fall of next year as the original proposal would have. It'll transition over time with a fully elected school board being seated in January of 2027. And I hope that gives everybody time to uh, weigh and measure the consequences and, and do this right. And I trust that the mayor is going to be a, uh, a willing and uh, uh, necessary partner. 
I'm going to continue with this uh, just a second, but you're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest is Illinois Senate President Don Harmon of Oak Park. Um, when the mayor was asked for her reaction, uh, she said that she is hoping that uh, State Representative Delia Ramirez's move to put a procedural hold, uh, I won't go into the, uh, the <laughs> parliamentary uh, uh, stuff, but basically a procedural hold on the uh, bill gives an opportunity for more talk. Uh, sometimes those procedural things are just protective. Uh, and Ramirez says she's she's in favor of the bill as it is, although she would have wanted some things different. The mayor says 21 members, way too big. How are you going to get anything done? What's your what's your feeling about a board that size, which would be almost certainly the largest in the country? We spent a lot of time wrestling with that issue uh, because it is a large board. Uh, but at the same time, the city of Chicago is a very large city. And uh, if the, the model in other school districts is seven members elected at large. And if you did that in Chicago, uh, you would have seven people running citywide for a position on the school board. Um, I think it would tilt the scales in favor of uh, those folks with money or those folks backed by people with money. Um, the, the, the wisdom of the 20 member board with one member elected citywide as the, as the chair is that the size of the district is manageable. It's not much different than a a House of Representative district. And what that means is that somebody without money, somebody without a political uh, organization can still run an effective campaign by going door to door and talking to neighbors and listing friends. And so real people will have a fighting chance of getting elected to the, to the Chicago Public School Board. And I think that's really important. And, and that persuaded me in the end. I, I agreed it was a unusually large number. Um, but a, a seven-member board uh, may not work any better. So why not make sure it's one where democracy has a fighting chance? Um, if the issue is letting everyday people uh, have a shot at getting on that board, why isn't there a spending limit uh, on the campaigns? Because what, what the mayor, one of her arguments is that uh, people with a lot of money, a teachers union, for example, uh, can get behind candidates, but everyday people might not be able to get their message out in the same way. Well, I would be all for that or for public financing for the races. Uh, but the U.S. Supreme Court uh, fairly well resolved that issue for us with the Citizens United decision that said we can't stop rich people from spending all the money they want from their own uh, pocketbook on these elections. So um, it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube on an issue like that. I hope that uh, the size of the district will, will uh, give those real people that fighting chance to get themselves elected to the school board and have a voice in their children's future. Um, do you think there could be some changes? And one of them that people have talked the most about is the, that undocumented uh, uh, residents would be ineligible to serve. And the mayor is stressed that she wants to see that change. Would you be open to changes that might come back as a trailer bill? Well, the beauty of the legislative process is it is just that. It is a process. We are never done. Uh, we don't go out of business. 
And uh, as proud as I am of the work that we have done in a variety of arenas, uh, we never get everything right. And even when we think we've gotten something right, something in the rest of the world might change that requires us to revisit it. So um, this is a process we are always willing to come back and revisit and revise what we got wrong or what the world, uh, something changing in the world has revealed uh, requires an additional change. Um, let's talk about something that uh, is going to come back, and that's the energy bill. Uh, it, well, there was a hearing, but it was a subject matter hearing, so no vote. Um, and Governor Pritzker, uh, when he talked to reporters, said, you were the one who brought new issues to the table. Uh, and so no one was expecting a vote this time. What are the, what are the issues with the existing proposal that the governor backs? Uh, this is a very important and complicated piece of legislation. And it's not so much that uh, anyone brought new issues to the table. It's that uh, every proposed solution to a identified problem seemed to create a new set of concerns or problems. Um, in the end, what we have right now is a disagreement between two critical constituencies, um, between environmental activists who rightly are demanding action now on a, a clean energy future, on a, a carbonless world, um, and uh, labor that represents the men and women working in the energy field today, whose jobs uh, will likely be disrupted if we do this uh, in a way that is not as precise as it could be. Um, in the end, we all want the same thing. And everyone is bought into the basic framework that dirty energy is going to be shut down and it's going to be replaced by clean energy. Uh, but it, there are a myriad of complicated issues. I know that when I flip on the light switch in my house, I want the lights to come on. Um, Illinois has long had a huge competitive advantage by being home to uh, not only affordable energy, but reliable delivery of energy. Um, so whether it's a household trying to make sure the lights come on or a business trying to run its, its manufacturing facility, um, these decisions we make in Springfield have very real world impacts on all those folks. And Sometimes the best intention people in Springfield sit in a room for two or three months and come up with a proposal. And then when you socialize that to all the affected parties, there's some head scratching and saying, well, did you think about this or did you think about that? We are this close to getting an agreement on the bill and I'm confident we're going to, uh, but it just reflects the, com the complexity of this and the very real world impacts that need to be thought through uh, to avoid uh, at least the unintended consequences that are identified for us before we pass the bill. Uh, are you comfortable with uh, the idea that there's enough time to make sure that a whole lot of people aren't put out of work uh, by the time coal plants uh, have to be shut down, whether it be the earlier deadline or if technology allows a later one? Um, it will inevitably be disruptive to people working in that space, but I, I think everybody agrees uh, coal plants are shutting down. Uh, there was just an announcement uh, this week that uh, two Illinois coal plants are going to shut down, uh, not directly because of anything we did in Springfield, but because uh, the economy and the energy market 
markets are changing. So coal is going to go offline and uh, that's going to contribute considerably to a cleaner uh, energy future. Uh, what we, we don't want to do is, um, let's say a brand new natural gas plant comes online and adopts technology over the next several years that allows it to be a zero emission facility. Uh, it's not that we want to shut down natural gas plants. We want to shut down natural gas pollution. So we need to focus on what that ultimate objective is, eliminate pollution, eliminate carbon emissions. Um, and I think we can do that. And I think there is common ground between environmental activists and uh, organized labor. I think there's common ground between business and households that this is worth the investment. Uh, so clean energy and reliable energy are not mutually exclusive. I want to hit a couple of other issues that probably deserve more time than we're going to give them, but I want to talk about them anyway. Uh, one is ethics. Uh, a lot of uh, good government, uh, for lack of a, uh, of a less loaded term, uh, good government groups uh, are very disappointed with what came out of the legislature. One of them called it weak tea. Uh, and frankly, wouldn't it, would there ever be a better time than this to get strong ethics legislation than when you've got scandals and people facing indictments and all these other things? And why was this the best that the legislature could do? I'm very proud of the ethics bill that we passed. It is perhaps the strongest ethics bill uh, ever passed in Springfield. And it tackles very real problems with real solutions, uh, closing loopholes that allow people to serve as consultants without technically registering as lobbyists, allowing elected officials to lobby other governments on behalf of the same clients who are lobbying them, those would be prohibited. Uh, much more robust uh, disclosure of our economic interests, our income and our assets so that you know uh, how people in government are making their money. Um, a, a revolving door, this is something that leader Dan McConkey, the Republican leader and I worked on together uh, preventing a legislator from retiring on Friday and showing up in the Capitol on Monday uh, as a lobbyist working for special interests on the very same bills he'd introduced and were still pending before the General Assembly. Uh, this is meaningful reform. Now, the, the critics, um, some of these groups, frankly, raise money to criticize and they criticize to raise money. And I don't think that the indignation profiteers should be the uh, arbiters of what is or is not ethics reform. Some of the complaints, though, have been things like the uh, legislative inspector general still doesn't have as much leeway. And admittedly, that that post had even less power before. But uh, is this enough for the part that person to do the job? Uh, absolutely. We have, uh, we have given the inspector general the, the, the key authority that uh, the current inspector generals and past inspector generals have asked for, which is the ability to initiate an investigation without the uh, approval of the legislative commission that oversees that office. Uh, that's critical. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure what other tools are required, uh, but that, that is a major acknowledgement that uh, we need a, a, a legislative inspector general not uh, harnessed to the will of the General Assembly. And uh, since we only have, well, 
maybe a little bit more than a minute left. Um, you'll have to give me the elevator pitch for the budget, but we're hearing that a lot. We, we heard a lot about the budget from the governor uh, toward the end of the week, but give me the elevator pitch for why people should be happy with the budget. <laughs> this is the most responsible budget we've passed in my time in Springfield. We have paid down our unpaid bills. We're at the lowest level of unpaid bills uh, ever in my time. Uh, we are below the 30-day cycle that a responsible business would, would maintain. We've also paid off or will pay off in this budget year the borrowings we did to get ourselves through COVID. You know, a year ago, we were worried we were careening off the cliff into the uncertainty uh, economically posed by COVID-19. I'm very relieved that we are in better uh, position than we might be, but uh, this has given us the opportunity to hit the reset button. We did a lot of saying no in Springfield, the new spending, but we were able to leverage that federal uh, support that finally came through from Congress to great advantage. And uh, we have reserved some of that money for future fiscal years as well to get us through this tunnel. Don Harmon, thank you very much. That was perfect, actually. Uh, that is Senate, State Senate President Don Harmon. Uh, thanks for spending the half hour with us. And uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wpbmnewsradio.com. There should be a link a little ways down the homepage, and you can also find our podcasts on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of that issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.